Welcome to the Crime Fiction Casebook Podcast, a podcast exploring stories of murder, mystery and suspense. So today we're going to be looking at the fantastic Agatha Christie novel Cards on the Table, which features the... Bold of you to say it's fantastic right at the top. It's fantastic. And it features Hercule Poirot, our favourite detective. It features cards. It features a table. Yeah. It features all those things. Yeah, yeah. So should we get on with it then? Yes, let's get on with it. Okay. Uh, tell us what happens, Bridget. A chance meeting at an exhibition brings Achille Poirot into contact with the enigmatic Mr. Shaitana, a rich London celebrity famous for his flamboyant parties and his love of gossip. Scoffing at Poirot's bourgeois attitude to murder, Shaitana boasts of his personal collection of murderers. These are not just any murderers, though, Shaitana tells Poirot. These are the most successful ones, the ones who got away with it. When he offers Poirot the opportunity to view this collection at an intimate dinner party, Poirot can't resist accepting his invitation. The guests at Shaitana's party include four sleuths with an interesting crime. This, of course, includes our friend Hercule Poirot, the famous private detective. Also in attendance are the renowned detective novelist Ariadne Oliver, Superintendent Battle, Scotland Yard, and Secret Serviceman Colonel Race. The main attraction, though, is Shaitana's collection of suspected murderers. First, there is Mrs Lorimer, a worldly, middle-aged widow with a keen intellect and a talent for bridge. Secondly, there is the famous explorer Major Despard. Thirdly, there is the successful, upstanding Harley Street physician Dr Roberts. And finally, there is timid little Anne Meredith, a former paid companion to elderly women. At dinner, Shaitana taunts his guests dropping hints that he knows their darkest secrets from the past. Throughout the meal, he makes a point of provoking each of the suspected murderers, discussing various ways to commit a murder, a domestic mishap, a poisoning, or maybe a shooting accident. After dinner, the guests retire to play bridge, with the sleuths and the murderers in different rooms, while Shaitana relaxes in an armchair by the fire in the room with the suspected murderers. As things start to wind down, Colonel Race makes a terrible discovery. Shaitana has been murdered, stabbed in the chest with an ornate stiletto knife from his own collection. Quickly, the sleuths deduce that the murder must have taken place during the bridge game, and that the murderer must be one of the four guests from Shaitana's collection. But which of them can have committed the crime? Mrs Lorimer? Major Despard? Dr Roberts? Or Miss Meredith? At first, they all seem equally culpable. But it isn't long before Poirot is hot on the heels of the true culprit. Right, so we're of course talking today about Cards on the Table by Agatha Christie. Um, as always, uh, we're going to have to put out a spoiler alert at this stage. We've we've just been through the blurb, but uh, in order to carry out our analyses, 
of the book, we're going to have to talk about what happens at the end and the, the various other bits and bobs that the characters get up to. So And who did it? Yeah, yeah. don't listen any further if, uh, if you don't want any spoilers. So first thing to say is that Cards on the Table is was written in 1936. It was published in 1936. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know written, why. Presumably it was written the year before. Anyway. So it's still quite an early Poirot novel. It is, yeah, in in the canon. Yeah, but it's early. It's kind of early for Poirot, but... It has a bit of a different feel to some of the, the, the really beginning ones, doesn't it? Because, yeah, I mean, it definitely it's... feels different from, like, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd and Lord Edward Dies. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to say is it's not narrated by a character, is it? It's not narrated, it's written in the third person. Yeah. I think the most important thing to talk about, or the first thing we should talk about, is the plot. Because I think the plot in this one is, like, the main point of it. Yeah, it, it all revolves around the situation, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like Agatha Christie's posed herself the challenge of what would happen if you have four known murderers and four sleuths where each of the known murderers has um, a sort of equal uh, motive for the murder, right? Yeah. So the the sleuths have to work together and really, really... um, All work on their own, in their own unique ways, which we'll talk about. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost as if somebody, like, sat down and was like, I need to write the most Agatha Christie setting ever. I need to think of that. What should I think of? Oh, I know. Four people shut in a room at a party. Yeah, you're right, actually. Um, she certainly knew how to kind of distill the uh, the, yeah. the, the the genre. Yeah, it really distills everything down. Mm-hmm. It's clever. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading out the, um, the synopsis of the plot... Um, it struck me how ridiculous it is, like... What, the murder party? Just having a murder party. I think we should talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most ethical form of party. It's not the safest form of party. Yeah, it's um, a party which has four people that Mr. Shaitana believes to be murderers Mm -hmm. and four people he knows who are some form of detective or sleuth or I mean, I have none of this. Pushing it a bit. Ariadne Oliver's a crime writer, but she's still kind of interested and he's kind of a flamboyant person, so the idea of having a fiction writer there would also appeal to him, I think. Yeah. So the let's just describe the party. So it starts with drinks, doesn't it? They all kind of go mm-hmm. in and the sleuths they arrive. They arrive first. one by one, don't they? The sleuths arrive first. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they've had a little chat. And Ariadne Oliver and Poirot already know each other, don't they? And I think Battle knows, knows Poirot. So they're all kind of chatting. And Basil knows race as well. And we'll talk about this, but the weird thing is nobody else knows it's a murder party except yeah, for Poirot. He's the only person who knows. So then the murderers arrive. So the four murderers arrive. And they're all kind of like, they don't really know why they're all like, why these people yeah, are Yeah, they here. don't know anyone, do they? Although I expect that their like intuitions are going off yeah. about the number of like, sort of secret service people and police and yeah. private detectives at the party. They're I've, probably... I've just said they don't know anyone. They don't know each other. There is a link between each of them and, like... So, obviously, they know think... Ariadne Oliver because she's yeah. kind of a celebrity. Same goes for Poirot. I think Despard knows race. Or um, maybe um, they just get on because Mrs. they're Mrs. Lorimer's met action. Dr. Roberts, I think, before. Yeah, they yeah. do. But the murderers don't know each other at all, do they? Um, I think Mrs. Lorimer's met... Dr. Roberts. I think she oh, says she? that. Oh, I think okay. she says Sorry. that she's met him at a bridge party. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're not friends, are they? No. I think they're probably all thinking, like, why am I here? What is this? 
But it's also, it's all about the cult of Shaitana, isn't it? Yeah, because Shaitana, the guy, he's like main thing is throwing parties. Like that's all he does, isn't it? And figure skating. Yes, he does a bit of (laughs) figure skating. that's a side hustle, it's mainly throwing parties. Yeah, so obviously they have dinner, but like the conversation, well, it's great because it's just a classic like Agatha Christie dinner party conversation, which is like talking about murder and death, obviously, and how to kill people. Also, it's like really dominated by Shaitana. Like, if yeah. you were if you were a guest there, you'd be like, "Ugh, I wish Shaitana would stop directing this conversation towards yeah. murder." But of course, like because they're all murderers and they're all really yeah. paranoid, mm-hmm. the fact is that he spends the whole dinner basically hinting that he knows what they've done. Indeed, like planting little seeds. So he'll say, "Like, oh, you can poison people. I've known women who've done that." And then he'll say, and then he says, ah, but there are other ways, like maybe a shooting accident. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Little, he plants little seeds and then obviously disaster strikes because after dinner, yeah, I mean, this is where it gets really ridiculous, doesn't it? It does, yeah. He is so stupid. Like, this is the stupidest thing. I think anyone does in Agatha Christie ever. Yes. I think it trumps anything that Hastings ever does, which is saying something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Hastings probably wouldn't even be clever enough to think of this whole plan in the first place. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Having invited four known murderers to his party, Mm -hmm. for the murder party, Mm -hmm. he then provokes them, hints that he knows what they've done, and then... He, they all go to play bridge in this one room and he decides he's going to sit in the armchair by the fire. He separates the goodies and the baddies. Yeah, he separates the murderers from the detectives. That you can't see in, in and out Yeah, of. into completely separate rooms. And then he this would be a good time to have a little sleep. Have a nap, yeah. So he goes and sits in his chair yeah, and has a little much. nap. Yeah. And um, naturally he dies. And I think Poirot sums this up quite a lot of times in the book by saying... Several times, yes. He was stupid, and now he is dead because he was stupid. Yeah, moral of the story, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't, well, don't throw murder parts. Yeah, it's just yeah, simple stuff. Some dubious ethics. Yeah. I mean... The weirdest thing, I think, about the murder party, mm-hmm. actually, is because, like, Poirot isn't stupid. Poirot is a sensible guy, right? And the way that Poirot bumps into Shaitana is in this snuff box exhibition that he goes yeah. to which yeah. I think just Poirot things just Poirot things and they start just having this chat about murder mm-hmm. as you do yeah and Poirot's just like yeah murder that's like bad like, <laughs> I think it's a bad thing and Shaitan is just like oh you're so bourgeois yeah, like get with the th- times Poirot yeah murder's not bad yeah. what, what a bourgeois attitude to murder mm. you have <laughs> um and then he invites him to go view his to go view his collection of murderers. And the weird thing is, Poirot's just like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And then when he gets there, he doesn't. He meets all these other sleuths and doesn't mention to any of them yeah, that it's a murder he party. He could have just, like, tipped off the police before the party happened. Yeah, he could have done. I think this is just one of several examples of Poirot not really doing what he should yeah, do. reneging on his duties. Yes. This is... I hadn't thought about it, but this one, he doesn't actually... Most Poirot's 
some sort of aggrieved widow or something comes to him and say, Poirot, will you investigate mm. this for me? It doesn't happen in this one, does it? He's just all... No, he's just like, I'm going to go to the murder party, see what happens. Yeah, just hobbyist sleuthing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, like, from the being serious, I think that the serious point is that the plot feels to me like Agatha Christie's doing an experiment and, like you say, like distilling down the genre into this... Mm-hmm. It's almost like... It's like a locked room, like, they're all in the room and, like... There's only four of them and they're all really different and it's all about that. And the point is, I think, which we were talking about how it's so different from the previous Poirots and I think one of the most interesting different things about it is because I think that at this point um, in his career, Poirot is really starting to focus in on the psychology of being, the psychology of crime and the psychology of the criminal as being like the key thing that he uses to solve his crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, so the whole point of the novel is that he uses his ideas about psychology to um, look into the minds of these four very different individuals and decide whether these people could have committed this type of crime. Because he knows they've all, he thinks, or Shaitana thinks, he thinks they're all murderers and they've all done something. They've already done yeah. a murder. They do have to verify but, that later in the book, don't they? But Yeah, but essentially it's about could they have done this particular crime, which again, like so many of the ones we have covered, is a stab with a stiletto knife, seems to be like... We have mm-hmm. covered three now well, that involve this. Well, the edition that I read actually has a foreword or an afterword or something by Agatha Christie where she says... I set this one up as a sort of experiment myself oh, really? to like have a completely blank, oh, well not not blanks that. not blank slate, but this situation where yeah. there are four suspects who it's it could literally be anyone yeah. of them, and you can't tell at all from the reading. There's I should have read that. I didn't know it existed. Well, I'll you know that'll be a treat later. for you afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's no like, yeah, there's no like sort of hard evidence is there it's all well it's supposed to no one's got an alibi no one's got they're all in the room when it happens Mm. and it's supposed to be all about psychology and the one piece of hard evidence that Poirot actually has is the bridge scores and he uses these to great effect yeah we'll talk about that I think first I'd like to talk about um Chaitana like as a character because he's quite a weird like enigmatic sort of character Yes, enigmatic is the word. He's a very strange man, isn't he? Yeah, I feel like he couldn't be real. Like, I feel like he's not. Yeah, you can't imagine meeting anyone like that. You can't, but if you think about like famous people, like celebrities, like rock stars, maybe he could be. You know, I suppose it's possible. He's um, he's a man of wealth and taste, isn't he? Like and leisure and yeah. So I guess he's just got no ties on his time to do anything in particular he's not got a family or a wife he's just so if i suppose if he does develop a sort of obsession with with anything um with him it seems to be death and murder then you can just pursue it to outrageous lengths i think that he's really interested in people's private lives and having power over people he seems like quite a manipulative person yes i think he it's sort of um he has a selfish interest in proving his own intellect as well and yeah. how above society he is because 
the implicate we never really find this out but we we assume that he wanted to sort of out the murderers at yeah. the end of this party and hand them over to the police and sort of prove his cleverness. Yeah, we don't really know exactly what was intended, but that's certainly how it's interpreted, isn't it? Yeah, I think Battle says that's what his he plan believes must have been. That would be what it would be. Um yeah, when he's like inexplicably Battle doesn't like when Battle finds out that this was all a murder party inexplicably he's not like furious that Poirot just didn't <laughs> tell anyone yeah yeah a real dereliction of duty by Poirot but hey, <laughs> yeah and so one of the things that Shaitana does basically apparently just for fun is blackmailing people he's not really interested in like getting their money for blackmail he's just kind of interested in like messing with people's heads so he'll mm, find out yeah. something about someone and then he'll just sort of prod them and provoke them about it to try and, like, make himself feel like he's powerful. Which is, like, it's, like, a really, like, dark thing to do, really, isn't it? Toxic would be the 2021 word He's for a toxic it. man. <laughs> but, yeah, he's, um... And they talk a lot about how he's got, like, a way with women and stuff, like... Well, yeah. Not, not like... coerces them and it's horrible Yeah, not them. romantically or sexually, but more, like socially yeah. like he wants to have power over them because yeah, he knows things yeah it's man. really really toxic and yeah. unappealing the other thing i quite like to mention about him is that he has this apparent reputation for throwing outrageous parties that's why um Anne and her friend are like oh yeah we used to hang around with him because we we didn't like him but he threw great parties and then you get an insight into this party that he throws and i don't know about you bridget but I didn't think it was a fantastic party. It's it so sounds boring. very boring. It's very weird and boring because nobody knows each other. So, well, except for like a couple of people, but no one really knows each other, and they all just kind of go to dinner and then just like play bridge with each other all yeah. night. Just play card games. Really late, and, you know. Yeah, it's, it. It is what I'm not against card games, yeah, no. but it's not an outrageous party. Maybe <laughs> though. Maybe he does mainly like the big parties this was like yeah it's not an example a small of, party of yeah, I, I think it's what night is this on friday isn't it i think I yeah know. which doesn't really tell me anything but um yeah i think maybe he throws like a really big one sometimes i don't mm, know maybe in, don't. his apartment is apparently like really bedecked and lovely it's pretty plush isn't jewels it and tapestries he has a nice persian rug lots of like gilt mirrors and stuff mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um but maybe he throws like great Gatsby parties and stuff. I can imagine that, to be honest. Because yeah. he's a flushy guy. Like He's really flushy. Yes. Poirot has a bit of moustache envy. Yes, because he? he's got a big moustache. Yeah, but Poirot <laughs> decides that his is better cared for or something. Poirot yeah. always thinks his moustache is better than everyone's. Yeah, like He's yeah. always like, oh, that man's got a big moustache. Like Maybe it's better than mine. And then he always decides it's not. This... I don't know, this might be a bit of a... Um, <laughs> I know where you're uh, going with this. A side, side track um, digression. That's the word I'm looking for. But um, we theorise that the David Suchet Poirot moustache is probably not an accurate representation of what Agatha Christie had in mind, don't we? I don't think it can be, because when it's described in the book, it's, like, really luscious yeah, and, like... outrageous. And it's plural, it's always, like, moustaches. And yes. doesn't that sound well, that, a bit... The moustaches is when they're not joined in the middle, I think. It's like, oh, know, is it? Then you're oh, I was thinking things. like more like the Kenneth Branagh he's got a like, big one. Well, see, I think it is yeah. a bit like that, maybe. Yeah, okay. But yeah. anyway, that is a digression, and we're going to do a Poirot episode at some point, so we should probably, yeah. <laughs> probably save it for that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how the Poirot moustache has actually come back a little bit, but only for men who've got beards at the mm. same time. 
The, the not Kenneth Branagh Poirot moustache, not the... And only for hipsters. Indeed. No, I mean the David Suchet one has. Okay. For hipsters, with beards. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose. But it's yeah. normally a bit more unkempt than mm. David Suchet's. Um, yeah. I think at this point we're going to have to say Mephistopheles, Bridget. Mephistophelian. Indeed. I, yeah, I kept saying Mephistopheles, which is the cat. <laughs> From cats, the magical cat. Maybe that's why he's called Mr. Mistopheles. Maybe it's like, um, because he's magic and stuff. Maybe. I don't Again, know. we can look that up. Well, anyway, Shaitan is definitely not a cat, but he no. is Mephistophelian. He is indeed. In fact, people say it all the no time. No one can mention Shaitana um, without saying, he's a bit Mephistophelian, isn't he? Yeah. It's like in the book, like, a hundred times. Mephistopheles. Yeah, they all talk about it. So he must seem really like Mephistopheles. Mephistopheles. He went to a fancy dress party as Mephistopheles and he didn't even have to dress up. (laughs) That's so funny. I love that bit. Where they talk. This is um, one of the guests. That's a wild party that he threw. Yeah, he threw a fancy dress party and one of the guests describes how he went as Mephistopheles but didn't need to dress up because he already looks like him. Indeed. I um, didn't. I knew Mephistopheles was meant to be like the devil. But I hadn't actually like read about it. Mm-hmm. But apparently he's like from German folklore. Yeah, and he's from he, Faust. He's from Faust. So he's like the version of the devil that Faust sold his mm-hmm. soul for. Yeah. And he's kind of got like a moustache and stuff. Oh, he has a moustache. Yeah, okay. I think so. Here, I'll show you a picture. Okay. So this is what Shaitana is meant to look like. Oh, blimey. Yeah, it's like got horns, it's like, like a moustache um, and a little goatee. It's like Howard Keel in Kiss Me Kate. He does look like that. If anyone's seen Kiss Me Kate, Howard Keel looks a bit like... He looks a bit Mephistophelian. <laughs> looks a bit yeah. indeed. Yeah. Well, this is an, a, an instance um, of one of those things in Agatha Christie, like the shifty butler from, <laughs> um, from Murder of Roger Ackroyd, where you just have to accept it, and if you don't, you're going to get slapped around the face with it anyway. Yeah. Which is good. So yeah. you definitely know. Yeah, yeah. You certainly can't forget. So as we said, there were four sleuths at this party. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just going to refer to them as sleuths. They're not sleuths, as we said, but some of them are and some of them aren't. The gang. The gang. So the first sleuth is obviously Poirot, and he's kind of representing, like, the private investigator in this yes. weird party. Yeah. Um as we said, this novel is from 1936, which is just after... It's just actually three years after Lord Edward Eyes, which we recently talked about. And um, it's so interesting reading this, like, straight after Lord Edward Eyes, because Poirot is a much more, like... I would say a much more, like, developed character. Yeah, a lot's changed. Yeah, he's much more, like, subtle and real, I think. Yes, definitely. He's way less quirky. So, like, whereas in Lord Edward Eyes, he's, like, throwing vases of flowers around and, like, putting roses' yeah. mouth and mm-hmm. dancing about and stuff. You Having can't... revelations and running out the room. Yeah, just generally, like, waving his arms around. In this novel, you can't really imagine him, like, doing that. He's way more, like, staid no. and, like... Stolid. It's not stolid. That's battle. Okay. Battle Good point. But Poirot is more, like... He's more relaxed. He's more chill. He's much more chill, yes. And he's a lot more, kind of... I think he's a bit more empathetic. Like, I think he's... i tell you what, he is a lot more Suchet. He's a lot more Suchet. He is, yeah. Um, the sort of representation of him as a, uh, a thoughtful... 
kind, approachable character polite, is um, you know, is much more yeah. in evidence than this. He's yeah. doesn't. I mean, he's, he says that Shaitan is r- stupid quite a lot of the time, but he doesn't go around being rude to people, which he yeah. does in the early ones. He's a lot nicer. He is. Yeah. I mean, he has. Um, he's very nice to Anne Meredith at the party, isn't he? He talks yeah. to her. He's really um, nice to her. Which is, obviously, Suchet's Poirot is extremely nice to the ladies. Yeah, and whereas, like, in the the more early ones, like, Lord Edge Red Eyes and, like, Roger Ackroyd and stuff, like, he's really rude to, like, Hastings. He is, And yeah. he's really rude about Hastings. Yeah, it might just be that Hastings isn't around in this one. So. <laughs> Hastings just brings out the worst in Poirot. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, but, like, he is not... He could easily be really rude to Ariadne Oliver, because she's yes, really annoying. And he's not. He's, he's very not. polite to her. Yeah. And he humours her, and, yeah. He's just a much nicer person, isn't he? You recognise him as the... The Poirot that we know from TV. Yeah, I reckon, like, yeah, you can easily read, like, Lord Edge Red Eyes and be like, this is nothing like David Suchet. But if you read Cards on a Table, you would see it as, like, the David Suchet character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting to see that development. The other people that are representing the sleuths are, as we said, Superintendent Battle, who's from Scotland Yard, so he's, like, higher police officer. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I quite like Superintendent Battle, because I quite like the the, like, you know boring cops that they always have in these things yeah and they never like get it right but they're always like kind of boring and kind of fun to like it's kind of fun to hear them bouncing off Poirot yeah I mean Basil is kind of like a slightly more refined version of Jap isn't he oh yeah he's, he's a lot more he's a Jap that. that would get invited to Shaitana's parties and yeah he's like yeah he's a more cultured version yeah. of him but he is like he's got the same sort of attitude yeah. towards his job and that sort of thing he's yeah he describes himself as stolid and a bit stupid yeah, yeah. which is all a front really yeah I think so because he's alright like he's not an idiot no he's not an idiot he's definitely all. not like the idiot cop no typical no. stereotype that yeah. you get in crime novels and on the television and stuff yeah and he's um, he does kind of read from the Poirot playbook a little bit like he adapts yeah. how he acts quite a lot um, he's he's always sort of uh, so when they interview Anne Meredith the first time he sort of plays a really fatherly figure and then later on yeah. he's like I think we need to rattle her so I sent her a letter of warning or something yeah so he, he, he's he's aware of the psychological side of things isn't he he's not completely yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's alright in fact I think I guess the point of the novel is that they all have their strengths and stuff. Mm-hmm. Except for Colonel Race, who we're going to talk about, Ugh. who does nothing. He just discovers the body and then just like he he gets leaves. he gets a bit of international intel, doesn't he? And yeah, has to go somewhere. That's basically it. It's like she Agatha Christie just couldn't be bothered to write him into the story, basically, isn't it? It's very odd because he's like there at the beginning and there's four sleuths. Oh, the four sleuths, four murderers. Who will it be? And then it's like one of the sleuths is like, "Sorry, gotta go. Bye." Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. I don't. He comes back and like, yeah, he gets some. He gets some intel. Yeah, some like expositionary contribution. But he doesn't really stay in the story, which is no, quite strange. He doesn't do any solving. Or I think that, um, as I've said to you, but I haven't checked it, so it might be wrong. <laughs> I think that um, race has his own books. Yes. Well, you you, you have I've mentioned that. that to me. I think it's true. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's not really much to say about him, is there? Because he just leaves. He, he quickly leaves. He comes back at the end, though, doesn't he? Does he, no. Does he no. not even bother to come to the end? No, doesn't God. come to the end. That's rubbish, because that means that there's not everyone there at the end. Well, I mean, some of them are dead as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. Actually. We will, actually, quite yeah. a lot of people are dead by the end. It's quite a high, high body count novel. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of the bodies are historical, but... But, okay. I mean, the current body count is pretty high. Shall we talk through that later? We'll when, talk when about we that later. Yeah. So, obviously, uh, we haven't mentioned her yet, but we have the fabulous, the amazing Mrs. Ariadne Oliver <sighs> as the fourth. <laughs> what? The Joker in the pack. I love Mrs. Oliver. <laughs> She's a lot of fun. She's yeah. fun. Whenever I think of her, I do always think of Zoe Wanamaker. Yeah, I mean, she really um, she really captures the essence she of does, her. She does, yeah. She does a really good job of her in the. This is um, again in the Suchet adaptation. In the Suchet adaptation, so we want to make she is recurring. Really, yeah, she character. is really like stereotypical and like over the top in the role, but I think it's it works because Mrs. Oliver is really over the top person. Isn't yes, she? very brusque and big personality uh, in your face. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I bet she'd be really fun to be around, but also really annoying at times. Yeah, I mean, I'd invite her to my bridge oh, party yeah. if, if the cast needed spicing up. But, but she's know, really nice. Think... She's just... she's very nice, yes. Yeah. She's very kind to the girls, isn't she? Oh, yeah, she's a really nice person. Mm-hmm. But she's just like, she always says loads of stupid stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's like one of these people who is sat at the party and she's just... She's just saying stuff to like get get a laugh and like yeah, to get Yeah, I, I need attention. to spice up this yeah. conversation with just continuous nonsense. Yeah, I guess she's one of those people who just opens her mouth and just anything comes out. Yeah, I mean she loves being the centre of attention. Yeah, she? definitely. Yeah, but I quite uh, apparently, and this is pretty obvious. She is like a version of Agatha Christie. Like she's writing it's, herself into the novel. In a, yeah, it's, it's very obvious in yeah. aspects, isn't it? Like she has her own detective yeah series of books focusing around a mainland european detective <laughs> in in england but like it even says and i said this to you it's so weird because in the book Anne meredith is like oh it's that detective novelist who wrote the body in the library and it's like that's an actual agatha christie book how obvious can you get that you're writing yourself into the novel but then i realized that I thought, the body in the library is a marble, so it's probably later. And it is, it's a lot later. It's very strange, isn't so it? So that's really weird. Going like, back to that random book reference in that book yeah. I wrote so she like says, ten years ago. <laughs> she says Ariadne Oliver's written this book, and then Agatha Christie actually writes that book and calls it that. Yeah, I find that yeah. really cool. It's it's not the way around you'd expect it to be, no, is it? No, yeah. It's really cool, though. Because you don't get the publicity boost from mentioning your own work. I wonder if there's any information out there by anyone who has spoken to Agatha Christie Uh, about... Oh, you'd have to be getting into, like, high-level research there at that point. Yeah, I wonder what Agatha Christie said about Ariadne Oliver, like, to what extent she is the same person, or... I I would be really interested to find out, but it's not something I know of at the moment. I think that's the pitch for your documentary film, though, Bridget. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she didn't say anything about it, though, Mm -hmm. so... I also think that while she is a very self-deprecating character, she's very self-effacing, Ariadne Oliver. Yeah, it's uh, it's Agatha Christie like letting the audience have a bit of a laugh at her, isn't it? Yeah, but she is a very sympathetic and a very nice character, as we said. Yes, it's, it's a very charming way to, oh, yeah. to put yourself across. Yeah, it's kind of like weirdly self-deprecating and slightly ridiculous. But also really flattering, mm. and it makes you look. It makes Agatha Christie seem like loads of fun and a sporting loser, Indeed. and you know, just the heart and soul of the party and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
She's a great character. And obviously, in this novel, she talks a bit about, as she always does, she talks a bit about Sven Hearson, who is her male detective, (laughs) who is in her series of books that she's writing. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is like an opportunity, I think, for Agatha Christie to moan about the trials and tribulations of having a very popular fictional detective who you're sick of. Yes, yeah, it's it's quite on the nose at times in the humour. Yeah, yeah, it's very like, oh, I wish I hadn't made him a Finn. Because I know nothing about Finns. Yeah, <laughs> and apparently people from Finland always send her letters saying, oh, you've got this wrong about Finland and stuff. Yes, yeah, so she's made him a vegetarian as well, yeah. hasn't she? Which I suppose is the... In Poirot's a perfectionist. Yeah, a vegetarian. yeah, it's like a little thing about yeah. him. But I was thinking that she was actually really sensible to make him a Finn. Because that's like the Scandi noir crime genre. She's like invented that. Yeah, like, way ahead of her time. Before the Scandis even invented she's it like themselves. She's streets ahead of her time. Yeah. She invented Scandi crime Indeed. like back in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. So we have Ariadne Oliver to thank for that, obviously. Yeah, hats off to her. Yeah. So um, another thing which Ariadne Oliver is quite interestingly is she is apparently a hot-headed feminist. Very hot-headed. Oh, yeah. Probably more hot-headed than feminist. Well, you were saying to me the other day that you don't even think she is a feminist. You think she's just... No, I don't think she is. Yeah, she's just going around saying she is. It's because she's surrounded by... She likes to wind people up, and she lives in a male-dominated world. Yeah. So a good way to wind them up is to pretend to be a man-hating feminist. Yeah, I think so. Because she always goes around saying the same thing. She always goes around saying, if a woman were the head of Scotland Yard... And, and she never finishes the sentence. She never says anything else. She just says, like, if a woman were the head of Scotland Yard. And it's quite funny in this novel because one of the characters, the friend of Anne Meredith, who's called Rhoda Dawes, actually takes her up on this. And it's like... She's a proper fangirl, Rhoda, isn't she? Yeah, she's, like, a fan of her novels. And, um, like, she's having this chat with Anne Meredith and Rhoda, mm-hmm. Ariadne Oliver. And she's saying, I've always said that if a woman were the head of Scotland Yard. And Rhoda's like, yes. Tell me more. What? What would happen if you were the head of Scotland Yard? And yeah, she calls like, her out, doesn't she? Yeah, and it's really, like, awkward and stuff. I, I like that. Yeah, because she doesn't actually have yeah, any she's, idea. she's never thought about it before. She's like, well, I'd, I'd, just, I'd just arrest Dr. Roberts. Yeah, straight away, because she believes in feminine intuition. Yes. She believes that women have a special feminine intuition. So we've covered all of the, the sleuths, and now mm. we're going to cover the murderers. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, the baddies. The first baddie we have is called Anne Meredith, Miss Anne Meredith. Boo. Boo. We think she's rubbish. Yeah, we don't like her. She's, she's dead boring. She's so boring, and she's so, like, dreary. Yeah, she's quite mean to her friend Rhoda as she's well. She's not very... She's quite mean and quite petty. Yeah, also... The most boring motive for her historic murders as we well. We hate this motive. It's the worst motive. She's... Covering up a petty crime. Yeah, she was paid companion for some woman who didn't know what was going on and she got into the habit of nicking. She did know what was going on. No, she didn't. I th- she was at one place where it was a oh. It was a woman who was... Well, she, I think she did, didn't know what was going on and then did find her out and was like, well, I'm not going to turn you in, but you probably ought to be on your way. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, and then, then sure. it's another one yeah. where she, she's she got a taste for nicking now. Um, <laughs> she's got a taste for the nicking. She does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she gets caught again. Yeah, but this woman is like, no, you're not, I'm yeah, not having this. A, no. Well, I think, I think, I think the basic. first one she just gets taken advantage it's, of. It's Rhoda's auntie, the first one. Old and one. infirm. 
the reason that she's able to get away with it is because the house is a complete mess, so she doesn't notice that things are going yeah. missing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she does a switcheroo with some poison and some medicine. Um, so this is, this is, just to clarify, this is at her previous job before she went to live with a, a female friend of the same age. So yes. at the moment when we meet Anne, she is living in a cottage in somewhere like... I reckon Hampshire, it's in like Hampshire. Or somewhere like that, yeah. outside of London. Mm. She's living in like a nice old little cottage with this female friend from school who has taken her on as like a companion. So yeah. she doesn't pay any rent. She like lives off this girl who's rich. Yeah, it's I don't very... think she necessarily takes an allowance from her or anything. It's just she lives for free with her. Yes, it's very... So she lives with Rhoda for free and I think... And she, it's like she's acting as companion for this girl. They're really opposites of They're each like other, aren't they? like talking cheese. Mm. Um, so she lives in this house, and what we were talking about is her previous jobs as a form. She's a former paid companion, so she lived. She worked for these older women. Yeah, she did the more nursing style companionship. No, I think she previously. didn't do any nursing because that's why she left her job because they needed um, to get a nurse right. because the lady got so ill. I got completely yeah. the wrong end of the stick. Yeah, so okay. she's not a nurse. She just right. sits there and talks to the woman. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. she's a paid companion. Um, so she, she got done for stealing, or she got found out, so she left a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the next job, when she got found out, she did a bit of murdering instead. She yeah, switched. they have some paint or something, don't they? It's like paint stripper or something. Paint stripper, yeah. Something like that. And she switches the bottles. Yeah, and... it's really unpleasant, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So she murders the older lady, and um, off she trots to Rhoda Dawes to live. Pretty charmed life, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. quite and, easy I mean, life. It's, it's, it, she really falls upwards with that one because yeah. it puts her in the, this position where she's got no money, but she can live for free. And not only that, but she can move in the social circles where she can meet people and potentially find a husband. Now, the other thing about Anne is she's quite stupid. She's, like, really stupid. Yeah, I mean, Poirot does her good. He runs rings around her. He does a really cool Poirot trick. Yeah, explain, explain the trick. This is it. super easy. This is called How to Find a Petty Thief. Yeah. This is the trick. In three steps. So if you're Poirot, you go to a, a shop, a high-class department store, uh-huh. and you buy some really nice silk stockings. Yeah. And then you take the silk stocking, but you buy like 20 or something. And then you take them and you show them to the girl. So this is what he does. He takes them. And when he's interviewing the two girls, he says, Anne, for some reason, he's like, Anne, uh, Anne Meredith, I'm going to give some stockings to my niece for Christmas. And I'd really like a young woman's opinion on what's a nice stocking. Yeah, he's like, I'm an old man. I don't yeah, know it's what, like, I don't know the about these things. Yeah. yeah, which is sort of believable. But the weird thing is that he's like, me and Rhoda will just go in this other room and chat. <laughs> and just, by the way, there's Look like a round. Look at the knife around, from the Orient Express. There's a round 15 of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's very clear with her that yeah. he doesn't know how many there are. So that he goes off to talk to Rhoda in the other room and Anne obviously steals some of them. Yeah. So he is able to prove that yeah. she's in a truth thief. he does know how many there are. He tells her that he doesn't, so she thinks the yeah. coast is clear to she Nick one or two because like she thinks he won't something. notice. Yeah. It's outrageously stupid and reckless because she is like <laughs> under suspicion for murder. He's a private eye investigating the case. He calls her in for a bit of light questioning. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to steal from the guy who's investigating me for murder. It's very, big, very foolish. Big mistake. Yeah. Just scored an own goal there. 
I think that's and, it, a... and after finding that out, he makes the he makes the revelation really that her psychology is the psychology of like a petty thief. Like mm-hmm. she is well, essentially then... timid mm-hmm. and fearful, mm-hmm. and she grasps and grabs at things because she's she's lived without without things. She, she's she's used to poverty and she's used to desperation. So mm-hmm. she she grasps for things, and the only reason he thinks she would have killed was if she was terrified. Yeah. So he he sort of supposes that it's possible that Anne Meredith could have done it if she was frightened enough. Yes, but they also deduce that it's highly unlikely because the the type of murder is very different. It is a very different type of murder from, like, switching poison bottles, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The second murderer is Miss Lorimer. Yeah. Absolute legend. We love Mrs. Mrs. Lorimer. Lorimer. (laughs) So does Agatha Christie, apparently. It's proper, like, character worship, this one. I don't know. I just think she's quite a well-drawn character. Like she is a good with character. Yeah, maybe. she's quite. You know, she has a bit of backstory and. Uh... So she's like a bridge genius. She's like a top bridge player. Like she goes around going to bridge parties and basically. Yeah, well, it's, it's what she does with her life, isn't it? She's got, she's got money and. Yeah. That's what she's into. Yeah, I think she does it like to make money as well. She's so good. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. what they kind of imply. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like her main thing, and she's just a bit of a legend because she has like. She's like no nonsense. She seems super brainy, but she's also calm and collected, isn't she? Which is what makes Poirot immediately suspicious that she is not the murderer, because this is the kind of murder that is carried out by someone who has not planned it. Yeah, to to carry out this murder, you've got to be willing to pick up a knife that you've literally just seen on your way in and stab your victim with three other people in the room. It's like a proper... uh, hyper risky thing to do yeah. so and Poirot cool. identifies Mrs Lorimer as a calculating um, a planner. premeditating yeah. planner she plans everything to perfection yeah. she'd carry it out but she'd do it so well that it would never be discovered mm-hmm. which is presumably what she did when she did the first murder yes but you don't find out a lot about that do you which is cool I think that's cool yeah well I mean it's kind of like evidence to how um, withdrawn private collect- and collected she is like yeah. she says that like, I I'm not going to tell you about my other murder. I don't have to. I don't yeah. want to. Don't have to. She doesn't actually say it's a murder. She well, says, yeah. I killed my husband. That's what she says. Yeah. So that makes me think it might be a bit like in where Mrs. kills her husband and it's kind of like domestic abuse, abuse yeah, victim. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of suspect, even though I have zero evidence for this whatsoever, <laughs> just because Mrs. Lorimer is a classy lady, I think that. And she's worried about Anne Meredith. She doesn't want Anne Meredith to get herself into a bad situation. I think that Mrs. Lorimer, when she was younger, married the wrong man and Mm -hmm. was married to Mm -hmm. maybe an abusive husband. And that might be why she murdered or killed her husband. It's a bit of a trope in these books, so you could well imagine that it's what Agatha Christie had in mind. I suspect that's why what's implied by it, but there's no evidence. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you've you've mentioned it there, but basically Mrs. Lorimer's one fault is that she doesn't see that Anne Meredith is evil. So she has, like, a soft spot for Anne Meredith. She obviously, like, sees herself in this, like, vulnerable young woman, Mm -hmm. and she wants to protect her, so she basically claims to have done the murder, even though she hasn't, because she wants to protect Anne Meredith. She thinks she's seen Anne doing it doesn't she but, yeah i yeah. love that so she she basically it's great that point where she says that because throughout the whole book poirot has been saying there's no evidence it's all psychology it's mm-hmm. all about the bridge game it's all about the bridge scores and then he's like why are you telling me Anne meredith did this and she's like 
I saw her. Yeah. And then he has to come to terms with the fact that someone's there's an eyewitness. Yeah, there is somebody hard evidence. saw this. Yeah. Although we later find out that's not what she saw, but that's what she thought she saw. So I think that's quite a fun I like that bit because it sort of like really jars with the psychology thing. Yeah, it is good. It's really it, fun. it really annoys Poirot. Yeah, Poirot's <laughs> like, oh my god, all this work, and there was a, someone just saw it happen. Yeah. Anyway. I really like the bit about Mrs. Lorimer where Poirot's talking to her and he says that she's such like a classy lady because a million other women would have been desperate to justify the murder of her husband, but she won't tell him anything yeah. and she doesn't even offer to. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, it's nobody else's business but my own. Yeah, yeah. This is fun. Let's talk about Major Despard. Oh, my Lord, yeah. <laughs> This is a fun one. Yeah, I think Major Despard has the uh, the best one, historic murder. I think that Major Despard has one of the best incidents that has ever happened in an Agatha Christie. <laughs> yeah, um, so Major Despard is your stereotypical uh, trustworthy army man in yeah. Agatha Christie. action guy. Yeah, they always pop up. They're, They're always, always broadly good. Or they stoical, seem to be to me. stoical, serious, kind of boring... Yeah, but I it's think trustworthy and good, generally good. I think Despard is a bit younger than most of the other like, action men in these because normally Major they, Blunt and all yeah, that. they often seem to be friends of some patriarch or something, and he's he's more. I'm not going to say that they're always good in Agatha Christie, but they are often good in Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. These old mm-hmm. army types. She seems to have a bit of a soft spot for them, doesn't she? Yeah, I just. I know he's generally good, but I really don't like the way he fat shames Mrs. Oliver. He's Yeah, he's a bit nasty about Mrs. Oliver. Yeah, he's um, like, oh, your fat friend over here to Anne Meredith. Yeah, like, it's, it's like... It's just, just a bit uncalled for, isn't so it? So unnecessary. Just yeah. um, he, has, he has some of your classic, like, um, lines about not fitting in with society and how he, yeah. he can only cope with it for six months and he has to go back to the wilds. They're all like mavericks, these army types, aren't yeah. they? Well, this, yeah, they and then they go be. off and become big game hunters and yeah. explorers, don't they? Yeah, so anyway, his... He, um, um, basically, he fancies Anne and Rhoda. That's one yeah. of his storylines. Yeah. Um, and that is another thing that happens in a few of them. Like, oh, right. in, in The Murder of Roger Atwood, the old army guy has the love story. He doesn't have two love stories, though. No, but this is quite funny because Major Despot, like, clearly, like, fancies Anne and Rhoda. Yeah. And he's always, like, going into the cottage and being like, ooh, I like that one. But ooh. I also like that one. Ooh, which one do I like more? Let's see. So he, like... It's kind of weird because they're very, very different. Yeah. But, um... I guess they're both attractive in different ways. Like... Yeah. Like, Anne's, like, prim and pretty and stuff and Rhoda's like dashing and fun I, I, I think he's just attracted to Anne because she's prettiest I don't think yeah. he has any sort of personality match with her I really like the end where well just to spoil it I really like the end where he is in the end he actually gets together with Rhoda yeah and yeah. there's a really nice description of how like he sees in his eyes like her in the jungle <laughs> you thought oh. that was, I thought that was dead tacky he sees her in the jungle and it's like they're together and they're like I don't know, fighting off wild animals or something. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. ooh, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with this woman. You yeah, do like well, that. it's nice that he finds love, I suppose. I thought it was but, quite uh, thought it was romantic. Like, it's, it's tacky, but it's romantic as well. It and is. It's sweet that he finds somebody. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think he's right. I think Rhoda would be good in that situation. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. she's like no, a tomboy, isn't yeah, she? No, you... She's a sporty tomboy. Despard and Anne, bad no, combination. bad. Well, Anne yeah. and anyone, bad combination. Anyway, uh, yeah, as we said, he has one of the best um, backstories ever. Yeah, so uh, he is moonlighting at some point in the past as a jungle guide, isn't he? So he, like, in the Amazon rainforest, he is on an expedition as a guide and the guy he is doing the expedition with, who's like commissioned him as a guide or whatever, mm-hmm. he's called Timothy Lux, Doctor Timothy Luxmore, Professor Luxmore, or something. Yeah, he's like a zoologist or a but- he's botanist. He's like a botanist, and he's going into the Amazon to like find plants, yeah. like and write about them. Rare he's herbs. like academic or something, yeah. scientist. So he's going off into the, the jungle, and he's with just this Professor Luxmore and his wife, and his, I think their two kids are there as well, aren't they? Uh, are they? There's a couple of kids oh, in tow, yeah. I there's think so. there's um, the uh, the presumably Brazilian guides as well. Yeah, I think there were. Some. But they're they're just they're under the command of Despard. Yeah, yeah, there are like staff and stuff, yeah. aren't there? But yeah. he's like the main guide, um, and it's just this amazing story. Well, <laughs> basically, <laughs> they all get a fever. Yeah. So what happens in this is what Shaitan has heard about that makes him think that Despard is a murderer. Mm-hmm. So while they're out there in the Amazon. They all get a fever, one after the other. Yeah. And um, there's just an incident where Professor Luxmore has got the fever. He goes bananas. And, yeah. Clear, well, no, he doesn't. He just He's just in some kind of delirious state. And it's clearly like the evening. And um, Major Despard's like got better from his fever and he's like, okay. And he's like sat outside his tent. And to his horror, he sees Professor Luxmore like... Stumbling, stumbling towards the rapids stumbling around towards the towards the river a dangerous stretch of river yeah yeah, yeah. so he does the only thing that <laughs> like a guy in his situation can do because he thinks i'm too far away to get to him and all i have is this rifle yeah um guess i've got to shoot him in the leg so he decides to shoot him in the leg because he thinks i'll not be able to stop him yeah yeah now mrs Luxmore is like little benounced to um, Major Despot is watching all of this happen Mm -hmm. and she's quite a delusional woman isn't she she's basically got some kind of delusional crush on Major Despot and has become obsessed with him and thinks that he loves her and and she's just imagined that he's in love with her Yeah. and um, when she sees him going to shoot her husband she assumes that he's murdering him in a crime of passion (laughs) like because he's in love with her. It's, it's just such a huge leap of logic. Yeah. But, <laughs> so <laughs> she naturally, like, jumps on Major Despot, like, throws him off off target. Yeah. And then he kills Yeah, causes Professor him to Luxmore. shoot him fatally instead of Yeah, he uh, shoots him fatally. And that's all her fault. And she literally doesn't know. She can't, she can't see it. Like, well, it, I mean, it is her fault. But I yeah. put it to Despot that I'm not really sure you could guarantee hitting him in the leg. Yeah, and then he has to sort of spend his whole life avoiding Mrs. Luxmore, doesn't he? Because yeah. she doesn't abandon this this delusion. Yeah, she's really she's a real character. I love it when yeah. Poirot goes to meet her, and Poirot like senses he knows what kind of woman this woman yeah, is going to be. She's a proper like sensationalist. Yeah, that she's a romantic lady. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets his special business cards that he has specially made for ladies. Like, I don't know what these look like, but it says in the novel that he has a set of business cards that are, like, more 
flamboyant yeah, than the Yeah, I think they're probably pretty jazzy. I think it's because in those days, I get the sense that a private investigator was quite a sort of sexy thing. Mm-hmm. It's quite a, like... Um, What's the word? Like a sensational Yeah, people were interested in it. Yeah. And he sees that she's going to be the kind of person who's interested in this kind of thing. So he goes round and pretends to be writing a biography on her husband and he wants the true story of his death. Mm -hmm. And obviously she comes out with all this about how in love with her Major Despard is and how he killed her husband in a crime of passion and they could never be together and mm, it's, mm-hmm. it's very good oh, they, okay. they agree to pretend that he died of the fever don't they yeah they pretend they hush it up yeah, yeah. anyway it's a funny it's a funny episode it is yeah that culminates in her forcing Poirot to kiss her hand yeah does she does she, <laughs> she sort does, of yeah. yeah she like sort of holds out her hand to him she's quite a lady which gets flipped later on where Poirot volunteers to kiss uh, Mrs. Lorimer's hand because he respects oh, her so yeah. much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fun. What well, I just thought that was a really fun backstory. <laughs> anyway, we've come to our final suspect, mm-hmm. who is Doctor Jeffrey Roberts, the one and only Doctor Roberts. We should probably say that he is the murderer. He is the murderer, yes. Um, In true Agatha Christie fashion, it was the doctor who done it. Yeah. In this case, a particularly crazy doctor. You Mm -hmm. wouldn't want to be his patient, let's just say that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Dr. Roberts is, he's kind of, he's a man about town, he's a Jack the Lad, he's cracking jokes the whole time, he lives a high-risk, sexy lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, Um, he's like a bachelor, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he constantly quips about his job. Yeah, he's always saying, oh, I only kill a few of my patients. Yeah, you compared him to David Brent. Yeah, he's he's just constantly cracking really weak jokes. Like, weak jokes about how much of a rubbish doctor he is yeah it's like he's he's not david brent but like no, you could he's, kind he's of much a, more successful than david yeah, brent. And, and powerful and so on yeah but you could kind of imagine someone playing him with that sort of interpretation yeah definitely and he's a risk taker as well as evidenced in his bridge play which of he's... course is a great quality in a doctor <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah hello i'm a high risk doctor yeah <laughs> so he does this murder as he goes in, he picks up the knife, right? When he when he feels under threat, he goes, gets the knife. Which he saw a Which few he, minutes earlier. He saw it on the way in or something from this art collection or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then while they're playing, this is a really cool tactic. While they're playing bridge, he deliberately overcalls. Yeah, he creates an exciting scenario. He makes it very... The game becomes very exciting because he's... Over, I don't really know what overcall means. He does some trick it's like shooting the moon in hearts or something it's like a really rare event that can yeah, happen in bridge they're doing like he's really good at bridge isn't he he's not as good as he's, mrs he's not Lorimer. as good as mrs Lorimer, but he's good enough to back up the fact that he always overcalls, which yeah. is like betting beyond he's good. the means he's better because mrs Lorimer and dr roberts are good players but mm-hmm. the other two are not great players they're not as good are they? yeah um so while he's dummy he which i think means you sit out we don't know how bridge works do we I played bridge once or twice when I was 11 in an activities class yeah. at school, but not since That's then. a weird thing to do when you're 11 in school. Well, they did activities <laughs> things in year seven, yeah. And we played bridge with each other. <laughs> do you know what the other activities were? I don't know. Uh, there were only four, so I can whip through them quite quickly. Okay. Uh, first one was bridge. Second one was heraldry. What's so- that? Heraldry's like, like having... chivalric devices and stuff. And well, doing like, what with them? Like just learning drawing. about them, like how you quarter your shield and stuff. Um, third one was diplomacy. 
the board game, not just generally. What's, what's diplomacy? It's Is bit, it like risk? It's a bit like risk, yeah. Oh. Um, but slower and more complex. Slower <laughs> than risk. Does it take ten hours instead of six? You like? I think you meant to play it over a period of like days or weeks. Right. I think I have heard of it. You know. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember what the fourth one is. Let's move on. <laughs> well, that sounds like a very wholesome activity day for eleven-year-olds. Yeah, the bridge was good. It was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a sort of whist-based game, but it involves betting on your ability to yeah. win tricks. I tried to read the wiki entry on it. Um, in like three minutes before we did this Mm -hmm. and um from what i read in that short period i think that it's one of those games where you have to bet on how many tricks you're going to win yeah Yeah. so it's like you you're betting on what you're going to win and stuff i don't know yeah anyway dr roberts kind of succeeds by he because he's always over betting for his hand But it kind of works out for him because he's quite he's skillful enough to cover up a lot of the holes, and it yeah. also is like a bullying tactic against people like Anne Meredith, who are more timid yeah, players. Yeah, she's scared of it. She's yeah. like she can't take the risk. Yeah, yeah. And he he creates this exciting situation where he's overcalled, and then he is dummy, so mm-hmm. he goes off and does the murder. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, and it's very high risk strategy. It's insanely high risk. He... But when we look into his past. We see that he does this. He does this high-risk murder strategy. Yeah, I mean, he is the ultimate opportunist, isn't he? It's as soon as the thought pops into his head, he's like, yeah, just do that. Anyway, so the reason... Let's talk about the reason he does this murder of Shaitana. Yes. So, as with everything in Agatha Christie, his murder is an attempt to cover up his previous murders. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we've got a situation here where there are so many murders in this book. Yeah, yeah, there are. So he's covering up his own double murder of his <laughs> yeah, patient. Yeah, not, not a single one, but a double one. His double murder of his patient and her husband. Mm-hmm. This is really fun, this murder. It is good, yeah. So he has this affair with his patient. Mm. What's she called? Mrs. Craddock. Yeah, the Craddocks. <laughs> anyway, they, she had, he has this affair with Mrs. Craddock. And um, somehow her husband finds out. Yeah. So this it's insane. The husband finds out, goes to confront um, Roberts, and Roberts actually talks him round. And talks is like, him down. Because yeah. he's going to... He's like... He's look, going to, like, complain to the medical registry. Yeah, but something. he gets him on side and is like, look, your wife is making this up. She's delusional. I'm treating her for psychiatric episodes. Psychotic he talks him down, but I think there is still a risk there. That well, he could think, change his mind and turn I him think in. he does a good job of talking his way out of it. Yeah. But then as soon as he's finished he? with that, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to kill this guy. I've got some anthrax in my bag. I'm yeah, kill apparently him. He, had, he had a patient who at the time had anthrax. And he just happened to be carrying a bit of anthrax around. In his briefcase. I, I don't <laughs> on really, his rounds. I don't really know how these things work. Like what kind of, like what was he using? I don't know. Was yeah. it like a... Yeah. But yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll just go and infect his shaving brush. Bob's your uncle. So he goes to wash his hands in the sink. And while he's there, he sees the shaving brush. And he just goes, I know what I'll do. I'll put some anthrax on this shaving brush. Yeah, there's a load of shaving brushes going around at the moment with anthrax on. It'll yeah, be the perfect well, crime. Is that a real thing? Like, why would that happen? I, I don't know. But it's presented as a real thing. It's presented thing. as, like, at the time, there were, there were shaving brushes in circulation. From Japan. That had anthrax on them. And lots of people died. So he was able to cover up this one murder 
with this sort of phenomenon at the time that was happening? I suppose it's possible because shaving brushes are badger hair. So it's it's oh, one of those things where you could have like a yeah. interspecies jump it, it of disease. It will have come from the animal that the yeah. hair. Th- yeah, I see. Okay, um, but it's weird that. So it's quite. I think it's quite a high risk murder because, well, it's not high risk because no one's going to find out. But like, it's quite a high chance that this person won't get anthrax or won't die from it. I think when he does this. Yeah, yeah. I don't or at least will like, die slowly enough to say. It was Dr. Roberts. <laughs> yeah, but he'd not know, would he? Well, you could say, I was arguing with him and yeah, then I yeah. died. It's a high, I think it's a weird and like slightly unnecessary murder, to be honest. Yeah. But So he does this thing, and then like clearly he just panics and thinks he hasn't finished the job. Because um, Mrs. Craddock is going to go to Egypt for a trip, because she's like newly widowed and she's like i need some travel vaccines i'll go back to dr roberts who i had my trusty doctor massive scene with um so she goes back my husband died mysteriously afterwards yeah so she goes back to him would you go back to him um well i mean maybe she's still into him and she wants to continue the affair well i wondered about that but equally i think if my husband had died just after that meeting i would be a bit suspicious yeah. There's some strange people in this book, Bridget. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she goes back to him for a travel vaccine, typhoid vaccine or something. Yeah, and it's just a bit of a gimme, isn't it? He yeah. kills her. He just puts some blood Slow poisoning. Slow-acting poison. Yeah, she gets blood poisoning, and then a few weeks later, while she's in Egypt, dies yeah. of and the poisoning. But they all just assume it's like... A, a, something that she got in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's clearly suspicious. It's extremely suspicious that a husband and wife dying within weeks of each other, <laughs> yeah. previously healthy. Some quite similar things, really. Completely ridiculous. Just though. after a trip to Dr. Roberts. Hmm. Well, I mean, whether it's the doctor or not, just if a couple die in quick succession when they're young, yeah, it should be people, investigated, really, shouldn't yeah, it? It certainly should be. But yeah. Yeah, who knows what standard policing yeah. was like at the time. So. I think that we should also talk about Mrs. Lorimer because he decides to kill her as well. Yep. Yeah, it's... Four, three deaths wasn't enough for Dr. Roberts. This one I actually think is a little bit different because it's kind of like he loses his nerve mm. um, and does it, whereas everything else it's like... It's like I'm, an... I'm doing this because it's an opportunity. With, yeah. with, the, with Mrs. Lorimer it's like... He panics. Yeah, I'm, I'm panicking yeah. and I need to do something. The opportunity doesn't really present itself. He fakes the suicide of Mrs. Lorimer and writes letters purporting to be from Mrs. Lorimer, mm-hmm. confessing to the killing of Shaitana. Yeah, it's just super... It's just like, there's no method to it whatsoever. It's it like, yeah, I'll just... slapdash I'll, and lazy. I'll write a load of suicide notes and then just go and kill her. Yeah, <laughs> and he just goes in the house. So he's... Apparently he's pretending he's just got a letter saying she's going to commit suicide. Yeah. And he just runs into a house, doesn't she? Like he like barges past the servant and goes upstairs and just jabs her with a needle. Yep. And kills her. Yeah. It's that Terrible. simple. Yeah. Um and luckily Poirot's enlisted an actor to pretend to be a window cleaner who like, keep an eye on her. Keeps an eye on this through the window and actually sees this happen. Yeah, which it's is a shame um, he didn't break in and stop it actually, but yeah, I don't know. And there's one of those things, yeah. She might have had, not bars on the window, but it might yeah, not be a maybe. window that you could get through easily. Yeah. And, you know, so I think you're asking a bit much of this, you know, two-bit actor that Poirot's hired. I know, but Poirot clearly thought he was going to go in and kill her, didn't he? 
He could yeah. have tried to stop it. Yeah, instead well, instead of just it's, trying it's, to. It's again, it's yeah. Poirot not really doing the whole job properly. <laughs> Do you think that these deaths were all necessary, James? I basically think none of them were necessary. Um, yeah. I don't think he needs to kill a husband. I think he could have played it a bit smoother. I mean, maybe in order to protect his reputation and to stop him from being struck off because of the affair, he would have eventually had to kill him. But I mean, seriously, just like. Let the situation breathe. See what you really have to do. Mm. After that, there's no implication that the wife suspects anything. I mean, maybe she did and we just don't know about it. So that one might be necessary. He certainly doesn't need to kill Mrs. Mm. Lorimer. I think that he... Actually, we've talked about risk-taking and how how he's a risk-taker. But I actually think it's more like hubris. He's, like, really self-confident. Like, he's clearly had everything, like, just fall into his yeah, hands throughout all, his it's life. It's like he's trying to up the ante each time. Yeah, he, he's one of these guys, like, powerful men, mm-hmm. who who push the limits of what's acceptable. Because every time they do it, they get away with it. Yeah, yeah. So he does He does take more and more risks each time. Mm. I realise I shouldn't say up the ante because that's a poker phrase and they don't play poker. Oh, right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know poker really. Well, Despard says in it, oh, I don't play poker. I prefer bridge. Yeah. Anyway, he's just got such an attitude, Dr. Roberts, because there's this really funny bit when um, he's talking to his uh, secretary who's just been questioned um, by Superintendent Battle and she tells him that he, that Superintendent Battle is looking into this woman from his past who's like not mrs craddock who died different on woman. his watch it was just a, yeah it's just like a not nothing story that yeah. isn't related yeah and he basically thinks he's got away with the craddock's thing yeah doesn't he? yeah he's just like that's so funny yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of guy he is he just like he really gets off on getting away with it oh yeah for sure for sure we should talk about the ending yeah and so it's it's sort of Trotting along nicely. It's all going, it's all pottering along. Poirot's getting closer and closer, and then suddenly the whole thing goes completely bananas. And it's <laughs> it so goes, exciting. It jumps up to 200 miles an hour. And I read some of Roberts the like, contemporary reviews of it from the time, and a lot of them were like, this is maybe not the best Poirot, but the ending is great. Yeah, it just really. We've basically we've explained what happens. Um, Dr. Roberts panics and leaps into action but starts it's killing Mrs. Sudden, suddenly they're all charging around yeah. london death getting over to hertfordshire because not hertfordshire we think hampshire it's hampshire or somewhere. Where, wherever it is we don't really know it's probably i don't really know it might yeah say. not only does mr roberts decide he's going to go through with this crazy extra killing but uh, something happens down in the um in the quaint little village occupied by and Meredith and Rhoda Dawes. Yeah. So um, Rhoda quite stupidly only sees the good in Anne Meredith, like Mrs. Yes. Lorimer. Mm-hmm. She can't see that this girl is like, she's a murderer, she's baddie. Yeah. Um, and she's clearly, like, Anne Meredith is really starting to suspect that Rhoda's been going around telling people about <sighs> well, her past. Anne Meredith realises that Rhoda Dawes is the only person that knows about um, the some poisoning of what's thing incident. In, um, in, it's in Devon, isn't it? Yeah, in Devon. She does. Rhoda obviously doesn't think that Anne murdered anyone, but um, she no one but she else knows about no one the else in this bottles. little circle knows about the fact that anyone died or she, she was even there. She knows that Anne was in the house when a woman took poison because mm-hmm. it was in the wrong Indeed. bottle, and that's obviously she can't see that that's clearly murder. Mm-hmm. But like 
Anne is starting to suspect that Rhoda has told somebody about this. Yeah. And Rhoda has no idea that she's in danger of her life. Yeah. And they are waiting for Major Despard to come and visit. And they both, at this point, fancy him, don't they? They, they both do, yeah. want him. And it's getting a bit awkward, He's quite a isn't catch. it? He's a catch, yeah. And they, I mean, Rhoda is going on about how attractive he is all the time and how nice his neck yeah. is and stuff. Yeah, and oh yeah, he does, she does say that. She says lots of... Anne's doing yeah. that really annoying thing where she's like, oh, but he's really into you and he doesn't yeah, care like, about oh, me. Yeah, like, oh, you can have him. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, whatever. And the servant's like watching like, oh, they're not going to be friends yeah. soon. Something's going on here. So they're like, oh, we're waiting for Major Despot. And then Anne is like... Why don't we go boating on the river? Let's <laughs> neither go of the them boat. can swim. Okay, pun- neither of them swim. Neither of them oh, can swim. And they're punting. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, they go on the river in this punt, and um, Poirot and Battle are also on their way, and Major Despard is too. Yeah. And um, Poirot does the thing that we talked about when he, which he always does, and he does it in Lord Edgeware Dies when he knows that someone's going to be murdered. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. And that some murdering's going to happen. And he doesn't give any details to he the tell. people he's with. He doesn't tell the people he's with. So in like in Lord Edgeware, it was when he was with Hastings, and here it's when he's with Battle. And Battle's just like, why are we in such a hurry? Like, what's going to happen? And he's like, not Battle telling. Battle at least has some idea of what's going I on. I think he, he realizes yeah. that there's danger of death, but Poirot doesn't give him the details. Poirot just like doesn't tell him, and they're just <laughs> rushing down there. And then, obviously, they see the, the boat on the river, and mm-hmm. they... What do they see? They see... Well, they get there just as Anne Meredith shoves Rhoda into the water. Yeah, Anne But Meredith, she bungles it and falls in herself. She bungles she's, it. They both go in the water. Yeah, just yeah, can't believe they're struggling. that. She's just awful. Yeah. She can't even push like someone off a punt. A cat fight on a punt. They both end up in the water. Mm. Um, everyone's like, oh, they can't swim. Uh-oh. And then Major <laughs> Despard, like, jumps in the water. I don't know why Battle doesn't as well, but, like, Major Despard... Battle like, does. Does he? Yeah, All right. It's just they're further away than Poirot's obviously the kind of guy who doesn't get in the water in this situation. No, Poirot so Poirot doesn't rescue young women. Yeah, he just stays on the on dry land and narrates what will happen. Like he literally says, he goes so voyeuristic, doesn't he? Yeah, he's like. It says Despard had run quickly along the path to the nearest point, and he plunged in and swam towards them. And Poirot's just like, "Mon Dieu, this is interesting!" cried Poirot. He caught Battle's arm. Which of them will go? he go for first? So he literally grabs Basil and is like, like, no, don't go and save them. He's like, get the popcorn, yeah, let's watch. Exactly, let's get the deck chairs. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Oh, what is this? It's terrible. It's really... Just... Yeah, it's poor behaviour. No, Again Poirot. Again from Poirot. Anyway, um, well, Anne Meredith, like, tragically dies in this boating yeah, accident slash murder. Yeah, chooses Rhoda. So, like, the ultimate come up and she tries to murder someone and then ends up dead herself. Yes. Yeah, and Despard chooses Rhoda because, like, clearly he has, like, a split second of, like, which one do I fancy most? Yeah, which one do I save? Yeah, and it's Rhoda because she's obviously nicer. Yeah, I presume also he's just seen Anne shove her in the water. Yeah, he saw the attempted yeah. murder, so, yeah. Um, and the other fun thing I liked about the ending is that there's a really great, you know, in everyone, know, what everyone knows about Poirot, like all around the world, is that at mm-hmm. the end he gets everyone in the room and tells them who's done it, and it's really exciting. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's that scene. He he's he's the king of it. Yeah. Anyway, in this one is really good, isn't it? Because he gets them all in the room, and obviously there's a way there's way fewer than before because loads of people. Yeah, half of them are dead. <laughs> Anyway, I really enjoyed this particular um, announcement scene because 
Dr. Roberts literally does not know until the very end. Because Poirot makes it seem like Anne Meredith's done it because she's dead. Yeah, yeah. He really plays yeah. along until the very last minute. Mm-hmm. And because Dr. Roberts is this really like hubristic guy, mm-hmm. it's really satisfying that all the way through he's like, oh, I can't believe it was that Anne Meredith. Ah. And then at the very last minute, Poirot's like, ha ha. It I, was you. I saw, we saw you kill Mrs. Orimer. Like, we saw it. We've got proof. You did it all. And it's the very last minute. And I saw the puncture on her arm where you stuck a needle in. Yeah. And at the very last minute, Dr. Roberts realised that he's being rumbled. Yeah, and he, he, like, deflates, doesn't he? He does, and he's just like, I'll throw my cards on the table. Like, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. He's obviously, like, one of those people who's, like, you know, he's he's done all he can, and he's just resigned at the end. Yeah. He doesn't try to fight it or anything. He doesn't have a complete anything. breakdown, which is good. Which that is would be, good. Oh, God. Anyway, um, I was going to ask you, because we started this episode by talking about the plot and how it's, like, an experiment in mm-hmm. the ultimate, like... Um, closed community murder and how you thought it fared in terms of like having the four sleuths the four murderers and like that kind of setup yeah I, I so it's meant to be a purely psychological thing and I, I think it does work in terms of being mm. a psychological test um, because I mean it has the knife is supposedly so sharp that it's equally likely that a woman could have done the, the actual stabbing yeah as the man, um, I think that Major Despard could have done it. You have you have to rule out both the two women because Anne would be too scared to take the risk, and, and Mrs. Lorimer, Mrs. Would, Lorimer have would have, yeah, yeah, she'd organise it her own way. Um, she'd probably have killed Shaitana before that evening even happened. Yeah, she wouldn't have done it in a room full of people, yeah, exactly. would she? So. Roberts, you know, could easily have done it because he's an opportunist and a risk taker. And Despard, you know, could have done it because he's ruthless. And if he if he has to do something, he will just do it. But, like, the thing that Poirot found is that the reason that Major Despard didn't do it is because he's not a murderer. So he just wouldn't have done it. Yeah, so that's not a psychological thing, necessarily. It's I think it's it is because he, he didn't do the first murder. It wasn't yeah, a murder. Yeah, but it's because he doesn't really have a motive for Shaitani. He's, yeah, he's, he doesn't have one. Yeah, Because not, he said, like, I don't really care what people think. It doesn't yeah, affect me. Yeah. yeah. I think psychologically speaking, he if he was motivated, if he thought it was necessary, he would do it, is yeah, the point. Yeah, okay. He just doesn't have the motive. He'd do it in a different way, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't necessarily commit exactly the same murder, but... I think it's possible if he had actually got the motive, but yeah. the motive's not really there. I think it is a really cool setup with the four equal suspects. I think that it's funny. Like, I mean, it's silly, but for it's me, fun. it throws up a central issue, um, which obviously is just like me taking it too seriously and thinking <laughs> okay. too much about it. But go. I, <laughs> I guess I feel as if just the method of stabbing, I would immediately suspect one of the men. Just yes. because of how hands-on and brutal it is. And like Shaitana actually says, like, poisoning is a woman's mm-hmm. tool. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a woman's yeah. murder. So it's, like, kind of interesting because golden age crime, I think sometimes, like, obviously there's so much great stuff about it. But it really, and, and this is probably because it sets itself up as a puzzle where mm-hmm. everyone is an equal suspect. But I think that, like, there's no way that I would suspect the two women on the same, like, especially the women they are because, like, the, the the younger woman is is not worldly woman. No. She's very like no. insular and stuff, and hasn't seen much of the world. And Mrs. Lorimer's like, um, she's ill and like 
quite frail, isn't she? And like, I don't well, she's, think she's terminally ill. Okay, she so doesn't know not... us at the party. I don't think, but she does. Does she not? No. Oh. She finds out the day she sees and Meredith oh, in London. Oh, really? Okay, I hadn't grasped that. But she's that she's either. like not a the kind of person that I think would do that. She's like super respectable and stuff. Like, I don't think it would even cross their minds. Whereas it's not even the men. It's not even the fact that they're men. But like Major Despot is like a military man. Like I think he would be more likely to do a violent murder. Yes. And so Definitely. with the doctor, because he's more like the doctor is more used to like kind of. He also has the added situations. the added um, potency of he would know how to stick a knife. Yeah, for exactly. Instant death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, that's like irrelevant because you've got to suspend disbelief and stuff. Like, yeah. but um, I also really like the like the, um, the, the actually even though it's all meant to be psychological, actually quite a lot of it isn't like quite a lot of it's quite crude methods. Like, I'm not just talking about the bit where Mrs. Lorimer says she literally saw the murder happen. Yeah. But also, like, the bit with the maid where they're just, like, sending the police in to just, like, ask <laughs> leading questions yeah, to we should, we should have talked about that scene, the bit where they send <laughs> in their handsome police officer on, yeah, they, like, on clearly, a seduce, seduction-based fact-finding mission. Yeah, like, they have, a good lo- they have a good-looking police officer who they just send in to, like, chat up female servants. Yeah, to get dig up dirt on the... Um, dig dirt yeah, on their employers. On the Cranics in this case. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, he, he asked the most outrageous leading questions. He's like, oh, yes, that death, I heard about that. That must have happened five or ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, what country did this happen in? I, I don't know, was it? And she's like, yeah, it was Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, um, yeah. Again, the girl probably could have seen through it she, to be honest she probably does see through it just doesn't, doesn't care because it's just not her business, yeah it. exactly she doesn't even work for them anymore no, she, well they're dead yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i guess she she had to probably find a new employer then. probably um we recently watched the television adaptation to which i say recently quite... it was probably like a year ago now yeah probably but so I, mean... I think that more and more when we talk about these like i want to talk about the tv adaptations because they're such a big deal yeah, and they're so I mean, like wildly different. Yeah, in there's quality. a lot to talk about in, the, yeah. in this one's adaptation. It's completely crazy. <laughs> they change like so much. Don't I they? didn't like it to be honest. Or, well, I know the some worst thing about it, it, in my opinion, is that they just trample all over the setting of having the four sleuths and the four yeah, murderers because they, the they implicate battle. So okay, so in the Suchet ones, like they at the start, I think they didn't make so many changes to the plots. But then towards, like, in the 2000s, like, towards the end of the series and stuff, mm-hmm. they did start, like, interfering with the plots, mm-hmm. which I think sometimes is okay. Like, sometimes I don't have a problem with it, and sometimes I do have a problem with it. And when I have a problem with it, it's usually when they mess around with, yeah. like, how the plot works, like, how the murder works as a murder. Can like, I just see if I can, for a fun exercise, see if I can remember all the changes? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, they implicate Battle by having him find the body. Is it Battle? Because it's kind of racing the book I checked, because I thought it was Battle, but it was just because I watched yeah, the TV Yeah, it's Battle, show. because they then further implicate Battle by saying that Battle and Roberts and Shaitana are in a sort of gay community in London where they yeah. hang around and have orgies together. And then, so that's both kind of Roberts's and Battle's new motive for killing Shaitana. I hate the fact that they implicate Battle because he's not in the yeah, room it's, when it's it happens. Just like, it's just like we don't care about your setup, Agatha, we're going to change it and do our own yeah. thing. And then they uh, they make they try and make Anna Goody 
So they make Rhoda try and kill Anne. So they make... And also make Anne Mrs. Lorimer's daughter. Yeah. So um, they, they... That... I really hated the fact that they changed Rhoda and Anne round because Rhoda's didn't do the murder initially. Yeah. So, like, to make her the bad one is really weird to me. Yeah, because if, if Anne's the goody, I mean, she still killed someone. So. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah, like, it's just the... I, d- I don't really know why what motivated Why did she kill Anne if she didn't have to hide anything? Any, it just doesn't make sense at all. Like, mm-hmm. I that, for me, that was the problem with it. Like, that was my issue with it. Yeah. I guess the battle thing is a problem too, because it messes about with the plot. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah. The, the whole point of Cards on the Table is that it's based on this... This setup, ...problem yeah. where you have four people that could equally have done it. Yeah. Because they were all in the room together. Yeah. And Having it potentially have been someone else who just came into the room at the yeah. end and did it is it's just not. I agree, and they they changed the motive of Doctor Roberts by making it so that he was having an affair with the husband and not yes. the wife. Yes, but I have less of a problem with that change because it doesn't actually mess with the plot. Particularly. Yeah, and it has some good. It presents some good twists, doesn't it? Yeah, when you sort of find out. Yeah, I guess because they assume that it's. Like, they assume it's the wife. But... Roberts is putting around. In, in, he doesn't do it so much in the book, but it kind of makes sense in his character. But in the TV adaptation, he's always talking about how much of a ladies' man he is. Yeah, and that's obviously it's in like the adaptation is a cover for being gay. Yeah. yeah, and he has to cover that up, so he does the murder for that reason, yeah. which I don't think is such a problem. Like with changing it, because it doesn't really mess with the plot as I said. Yeah, if that was the one change, it would be like, yeah, fair enough. That puts in some fun twist, but like just. With all the other stuff, yeah. it's just this is... But Mrs. Lorimer being Anne's mother is really strange and that pointless. That was really gratuitous at the end. And it yeah, did, it's it like, did, oh, it didn't, and she's it didn't her prove mother, anything. Like, so it was what? just, yeah. It had nothing to do with yeah, anything. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. Yeah, the other thing that was really fun about... Well, this is a change which we quite enjoyed. It was really stupid, though, is what actually happened in the Amazon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, this is a... I guess they could have kept this changing because it isn't spoil anything per se but it was very yeah, funny though it turns out that professor luxmore botanist is this is just in the tv show in the tv say. show is so they professor changed... luxmore psychotropic botanist so they changed the story of what in the tv show of what happened in the jungle with professor luxmore mm-hmm. so that in the tv show it wasn't that he got a fever and just stumbled off near the river yeah it was that he was he was investigating magic mushrooms or some Amazonian yeah, equivalent. Yeah, and... he was secretly investigating psychotropic drugs. Yeah, and takes them himself <laughs> he tests on the them mission. On himself. And it goes mental and attacks <laughs> Despot. <laughs> and there's a scene, isn't there, in it where he. It's so badly it's filmed. So like, and it's like. It's gratuitously yeah, like the, hammy. The actor playing oh. it is like this guy who's like. He's I'm, like I'm pretty Ooh. sure he wouldn't present much of a threat to Despard, but. I think well, he's attacking his wife, though, isn't he? He's attacking everyone yeah, inside. Yeah, he's going he's a bit mad because he's on insane. the psychotropic. He's been licking frogs or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he's been doing. And um, that's why he shoots him. That's why Despard shoots yeah, him in yeah. the TV show. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was really weird about that change is that clearly they read the book and they they decided that it wasn't exciting enough. That that scene with the with the stumbling into the river and shooting the guy and his <laughs> wife like knocking him out the way and then him fatally shooting him by mistake. The the, the makers of the TV show were like that. That sounds too boring. Just a bit like, dreary. That's boring. Uh, we need something even more exciting. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
And the other change, which I think we agreed, uh, well, made this it, one makes sense. It makes yeah. sense, and it almost makes it a bit better. Yeah, I agree. Is that in the TV show when? Because you know it's dead weird to have a murder pie, as we and keep fall saying. Fall asleep at your murder and then party, fall asleep. having provoked all the murderers, having provoked them. Yeah, it's very weird behaviour. So in the TV show, they imply that Shaitana like wants to die. Like yeah, he's had like, enough of life. It's like life. the end game of his yeah, plan. He's like suicidal and he wants to die. So he sets up the situation so that he gets murdered deliberately. Yeah, because it, it's like the like the. The real realization of his obsession with murder as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's like his like he's going to go out on a high point sort of yeah. thing. <laughs> so they I do. Mean, it's crazy, but it works with his character. It works with his character, and also it, it explains like how he could do this because it makes more sense to me that that's the answer rather than like in the book they're just like yeah he's just stupid like yes. anyway yeah. TV yeah I guess I probably take them a bit too seriously. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. So what, what's your verdict on Cards on the Table, Bridget? I love Cards on the Table. It's one of the first ones I ever read. Right, well, it was literally the first I one read I read. I read it when I was about, like, 15 or something, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I it's thought, good. It's yeah, good. I mean, I thought if it was you, really cool. As long as you want to get along with it, you know, if you want to read this thing, it's going to be some sort of gritty, realistic thing. I mean, <laughs> first of all, why are you reading Poirot's in the first place? But, you know, it's obviously not going to be the book for you. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun little... Yeah. Especially the end. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that Poirot's really great in this novel. He is good, yeah. I think he uh, the the later Poirot, um, the more um slow moving, relaxed thinking Poirot yeah. is an improvement on the He's so much nicer. On the comedy um Poirot of the early novels. Yeah. We love Hastings and we like their relationship and stuff, but He's definitely not, like, as real a person, and he's definitely not as nice a man. Yeah. Um, and I think that this leads the way for some of the... Hopefully we'll get to talk about them, because I'm reading a really great one at the moment. Some of the later ones, which um, he really comes into his own, and also the novels become more and more serious and kind of thoughtful. Yeah, they do. It really... like Because this one isn't particularly touching on serious subjects, but it takes... <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> But I think later those things are explored in more depth and this kind of like is laying the groundwork for that. Because when you read Lord Edgware or Roger Ackroyd or any of those early ones, you can't, they don't really connect for me with the more serious later novels. No. Yeah, no, there's definitely an evolution there. This is, this is a transitionary one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So that was Cards on the Table. Yeah, it was. Um, thanks a lot for sticking with us to the end and yeah. uh, we hope you enjoyed reading it as much as we did oh yeah so um, I've, I've been James I've been Bridget and uh, yeah join uh, us again yeah bye for now bye And welcome to the Crime Fiction Casebook Podcast. So today we've got another Agatha Christie mystery to look at. So uh, should we get down to it? Let's get down to it. (laughs) So should we get on with it? Let's get ready to rumble.
to say something normal. Shall we get on with it then? Yeah, let's get on with it. Right. Hello and welcome to the Crime Fiction Casebook Podcast, a podcast exploring stories of murder, mystery and and expense. (laughs) (laughs) A podcast exploring stories of murder, mystery and suspense. So, um... Should we get on with it? Without further ado, let's let's get on with it. We always say without further ado. I was trying to shake things up. Uh, okay. So let should we get on with it then? Yes, let's get down to, let's... to business. <laughs> <laughs> should, so should we So should we get on with it then? Yes, let's get on with it. Okay. <laughs>